Praise the Lord, Tree of Life Church family, and welcome to Midweek Bible Study. Pastor Urshan is traveling this week, and we're going to join him when he returns and resume the series regarding the miracles of Jesus. But in his absence, uh, I'm going to share with you what the Lord has laid upon my heart. I felt his presence today as I was looking at the Word of God. I want to honor you for being here. I want to honor our pastor, of course, and I, I always want to take the opportunity whenever I can to honor my family, whom I love, and I number among uh, the, the top of God's great blessings in my life. So tonight, we're going to be considering a lesson I'll simply call the Philippians finale, the Philippians finale. And so we're going to look closely at Philippians 4 together. I'd encourage you, whether electronic or in print, grab your Bible, and I would invite you to study with me tonight as we look to the Word of God. Let's open with a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for your people. I thank you for your Word. I pray that you would be near to us, God. I thank you for loving us. I thank you, Jesus, for the great gift of faith and of truth and of understanding, God. I pray that you would make me safe to your people and that your word would be rightly divided tonight. We give you glory in all things and we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I find myself enjoying my favorite epistle frequently and it's usually whichever epistle I'm reading at the moment. <laughs> I'm sure you can relate, but in all sincerity, I love Paul's writing here in Philippians to the church of Philippi. Now our Bible, it is not written in a, a chronologic order, and you know that. The different books, some of them cover the same accounts. This is most glaring when we look at the Gospels. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they did not happen in succession, but they, they are the individual accounts of, of a number of activities and a number of the events in the life of Jesus and his disciples. Now. When you think about the Old Testament or the epistles, sometimes it's harder to remember that things are not sequential, they're not chronological. But I would invite you to remember that tonight. And when you, when you read the Bible chronologically, there's a unique uh, context and insight that you can glean. So I'd invite you to try it out. I've been doing it that way for some time. I actually purchased a chronological study Bible. And it's really cool to, right in the middle of Acts, break away to an epistle in the actual uh, time that it was being written and have the context of the events that were transpiring. So uh, I'd invite you to explore that as we explore the Word of God tonight. Um, keep in mind that Philippians is being written really at the time that Acts chapter 28 and all of its events are happening, okay? And so Paul is imprisoned. And he, of course, has been converted now, and his conversion has transpired some decades ago. Uh, the church is established, and there is, there is much going on and much that has transpired in the early church. The gospel has been preached. And remember that the epistles, the letters, the Pauline epistles and, and all of the epistles, they are written to the church. That's you and I, not written necessarily to unbelievers. And Paul writes to the churches, to the Christians. And as um, it states in Hebrews, so it is with the epistles. They are not written to lay again the foundations of repentance, of faith, and of baptism. The established church already has strong footers 
of repentance and of faith and of baptism. We have a strong foundation in Christ. But it's time now as we look to the epistles and to the letters to the church to remember that we're charged to come into the unity of the faith as is described in Ephesians and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It's time to walk in the spirit. It's time for a low carb, high protein diet. We as mature Christians should desire the sincere meat of the word of God. And I believe that Paul writes to a church that should be looking for deeper depths and for greater heights and godly and goodly instruction in righteousness for the maturation and the edifying of the body of Christ that we might be effectual in the earth. So uh, these opening remarks, I hope, uh, give us a backdrop and some context for our consideration. It's important that we understand, though, that we cannot be who Paul describes and who the epistles describe in Philippians 4. We can't accomplish the feats that he points to without the Spirit of Christ alive in us. Again, it is Jesus Christ, our foundation. He is our rock, our cornerstone. Everything is built up on him. And we may be disciplined enough in and of ourselves to, to behave uh, appropriately on a given day, maybe until about 9 a.m., but our flesh will show up soon enough. And so that flesh needs to be in subjection to the Spirit of Christ that is alive in us if we are going to show out and be who God wants us to be. You and I are called to grow in the grace of God, not just in grace that flows from us, but while we are surrounded by his grace and receiving his grace, that we would grow, that we would mature. And we rejoice in that grace, and we should, but we should never revel in that grace, if I can say it that way. The world is uh, filled with distraction. I don't, I don't know how any minister can, can stand in the pulpit and not at least mention that our world is in tumult, that the socio-political um, environment is one of, of conflict and it is one of, of distraction, it's divisive, it's counterproductive, and it leaves the church wanting. We cannot receive sustenance from the world and this culture, and specifically our socio-political culture at this present time. And we fail to be fruitful when we are distracted by the cares of this life, by the narrative of our culture, and by the, again, just the distractions that the world and its fallen causes would constantly hurl at us and try to make front and center these narratives and this, this society that we live in, it leaves us filled with uh, less than what God would desire and certainly less than the fruit of his spirit. I saw a tweet the other day and it was a, a call to Christian accountability. Uh, and that's in order today. We need to remember that our identity is in Christ. My identity is not with uh, some political stance. My identity is not found in some sort of, of, of culture. My identity must be in Christ. And so the tweet read like this, I'll share it with you. If your first response to people and to current events is political versus biblical, you need to put down the news and pick up your Bible. Teacher, teach thyself tonight. It stung a little and, uh, and I was called to remembrance and to repentance. And I think that God has a timely word for us tonight. So let's get to it. 
Paul uses language in a number of his letters to really indicate when he's coming to that climactic moment, that, that central theme. And that word that he uses, uh, that language that he uses is, is, is in a single word, and it's finally, finally. It's almost as if to say, as the preacher often does, uh, in closing, and in other words, I've got a few more key remarks. Or maybe, and give me a little bit of a leash here, but maybe if you forget everything that I've written to you or that I've said to you thus far, remember this, finally. Wherever you're at tonight, if you would, just say, finally. Amen, amen. That's what you'll be saying when I wrap up tonight. You'll, you'll say, finally, <laughs> hallelujah. But tonight we're gonna explore the Philippians finally or the Philippians finale, if you will. Now, Paul's a gracious minister. We all know this. When we read his writings, uh, it's, it's, it's on display. He opens his letter to the church in, in Philippi, and he expresses his gratitude for them. He, uh, he tells them and reminds them that they're always in his prayer. And he goes on to give glory to God. And he compels the church and he goes on to compel them with a message of love and with a message of unity and a message of humility, these central tenets to our Christian faith. And in the third chapter, we find him admonishing, warning the church of false teachers, telling them to beware. And we see his example of resolve to press toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Good stuff. And then we get to Philippians 4 the Philippians finale. And that's where I want to spend the balance of our time tonight. Philippians 4.1 opens, and not once but twice, Paul uses this phrase, dearly beloved, describing the church. And I'm thankful for the love that exists in the body of Christ, from the ministry to the body and betwixt the body and from the body to ministry. It is a model that, that we will uh, talk about here momentarily, but I'm thankful for the love that is in the church. And Paul in love reminds us to stand fast in the Lord. It's easy to waver church, it's easy to be distracted, but Paul reminds us right out of the gate, stand fast in the Lord, stand fast in the Lord. Don't, don't, don't be carried away with every wind of doctrine. Don't be distracted. Don't, don't let the, the sound and the siren song of culture lure you into a place where you would waver but stand fast in the Lord. And we move to Philippians uh, 4.2. And I, I, I smile a little bit because I'd imagine that anyone that read this letter in Philippi was uh, perhaps keenly aware of what Paul was addressing from afar. And he calls out a few parishioners and, and influencers, members of the body. I'm not sure exactly what role they filled. And he calls out uh, Euodia and Syntyche. And he calls them to be of the same mind in the Lord. So evidently there was some disunity that was being uh, noised abroad there in the church in Philippi. And, and you know, when I look and when I see the differing opinions that are offered within our secular culture. I know that the church will not see everything eye to eye, but we will be in one mind and in one accord if we are going to see the move of the Holy Ghost, hallelujah. There are certain non-negotiables that we must have one mind, the mind of Christ. And when it comes to the understanding of faith and when it comes to the understanding of, of righteousness, when it comes to the understanding of our identity in Christ, when it comes to water baptism in Jesus' name, come on, I don't wanna, I don't wanna get off on a different topic, but can someone just agree with me from wherever you are 
from wherever you are, that we need to be of one mind. And let's make that our prayer, even as it was Christ. He prayed before his ascension, Lord, make them one, even as we are one. If we preach the oneness of God, then we know the heartbeat of God is that his church be of one mind, one body, one spirit. Hallelujah. Moving down to Philippians 4, 4, such a familiar text of scripture. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You guys know the scripture, right? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. In the King James Version, it's all way. There's no S. And I want to I wanna just take a moment and let's look and study tonight what that word rejoice means. And it definitely includes what you would expect. Be of good cheer. Be of a, a, a joyful countenance. But in the Greek, there is another dimension that is so beautiful here that I want to talk about. And it is, it is referring to the meeting and the parting, how we greet one another. Part of our rejoicing is that when we come into each other's company, how we greet each other. Now, I came here tonight, and, and Brother Seth is here, and he's manning the video, and I just want to say how grateful I am for our media team, especially during this, this COVID season. But when we got out of the car, Brother Seth greeted me with joy. Hey, how you doing? And we said, praise the Lord. And it, there's just something special about when you come into the fellowship of believers greeting one another, praise the Lord, brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so, how are you doing? It's good to see you. This is the rejoicing that Paul is calling us and inviting us into in Philippians 4. In your meeting and in your parting. You know, after we've spent time together in the presence of the Lord and it's time to go, and I say, praise the Lord, have a great week, God bless you. Those are joyful greetings because we are, again, of one mind and we have one purpose and one calling. And I love the scripture and the instruction to rejoice in the Lord always in your meeting and in your parting. Philippians 5, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. That word moderation do you know that the church is called to be a church of moderation? Do you know that when the Spirit gets a hold of you, some things will change? There are some close cousins to that word moderation. There are some inferences there. We get our words moderation, modesty, modulate, all from the same root. And you know, to modulate something means to adjust it. When I arrived here tonight, brother, brother Seth was modulating the volume. He was adjusting it to make sure that it was going to be pleasant for anyone tuning into the live stream. And do you know, since Jesus came into my life, some things have been modulated because the flesh of Brian Duvall needs to be adjusted and in sub, subjection to the spirit of Jesus Christ that lives on the inside. And it will be. And so uh, Paul says to the church, he says, be modulated. You're, you're, you're going to be moderate. You're going to be modest in your interactions and in your example. He didn't, he didn't qualify when or where because it should, be, it should permeate every facet of our lives, in our lifestyles. Let modesty prevail in your speech, in your finances, in your character, in your appearance, in your appearance rather. Temper yourselves. We know that temperance is a fruit of the Spirit. 
And the scripture says, Paul says, this moderation should be known to all men. Now, when something is known, when I saw Brother Seth, I didn't greet him as a stranger, but I said, that's Brother Seth. See, I identify him as Brother Seth. The world should identify the church. Hallelujah. The world should identify the church as an entity of moderation. They should see our modesty and our temperance in every facet of life, not given to extremes, how we react, how we engage, how we present ourselves, and they, we should be known for our moderation. This is what Paul says. Praise the Lord. It can only come by the Spirit, but uh, I, I want it to be our prayer here tonight. Lord, let my moderation be known to all men. The scripture ends, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. We want to be a reflection of him. His coming is near and he is with us. He is in us. Philippians 4, 6, another super familiar text. Be careful for nothing but in everything. Here's what you don't do. Be careful. But here's what you do in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Amen. Make your request known unto God. That word careful is simply referring to a lack of anxiety. We, we, we are charged to not be full of anxiety and consumed with anxiety or anxious or preoccupied with worry. When those thoughts come, here's the formula for overcoming thoughts that create worry or anxiety. Thanksgiving, prayer, and supplication. I may be tempted to worry about this, but I can be thankful for that or vice versa. I may be tempted to worry about that, but I can be thankful for this, for what I do know, for where God has brought me from, for how he has proven himself in my life, how he daily loadeth me with blessings, and the way that his mercy was new this morning. Amen. Do you have something to be thankful for? I, I don't know where you're at tonight, but just look to the right, to the left, maybe down, maybe up. Are you, are you in a climate-controlled environment? Do you have anything to be thankful for? That's how you overcome anxiety, because because the Lord's eye is on the sparrow, and I know that he will take care of you and I. Praise the Lord. Philippians 4, 7, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Have you ever seen someone in a trial, and you knew the details, or enough details to know that you would surely crumble if you were in their shoes, but somehow they just keep on keeping on? Let, let, me, let me tell you how that is. It's because the peace of God that passes our understanding and our comprehension has girded them with strength and has encouraged them. And they have faith that they're going to make it through. And I am so thankful for the promise here and for the declaration, the prophetic utterance from our brother Paul and the peace of God, which passes understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And here we go, Philippians 4, 8. Y'all knew this is what we were getting to, the Philippians finale. Paul's going to just, he's going to just uh, give us some real keys here, keys to life. And I'm going to spend the balance of our time here in Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, Whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on, think on these things. It has been said, and appropriately so, watch your thoughts, they become words. 
Watch your words, they become actions. Watch your actions, they become habits. Watch your habits, they become your character. And watch your character because it becomes your destiny. Those are profound words. Unfortunately, this quote as stated from a, uh, comes from a humanistic ideology. But like most false substitutes for God's word, there is an element of truth that's present in that quote. And Paul helps us here in Philippians 4.8 to understand how important it is that we get ahead of our words before they become actions, that we get ahead of our habits before they become character, and that we don't wind up fulfilling a destiny that was not God-ordained or planned. And he says we do that by what we think about. So let's talk about it for a minute. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, this word true means exactly what you think it does. It's accurate. It's true. There's four ounces of water in that eight ounce glass. It's, it's a true thing. And this is not the only qualifier for where our mind should dwell, but I want you to think of these, this list in Philippians 4.8 as a series of gates for where our mind should and should not travel. The first gate is, is it true? We don't want to bear false witness. We don't want to dwell on, on falsehoods or, or, or lies. But if it's true, then we can move on to the next gate. Now, we know people who revel in things and they feel justified because they know it to be true. Well, it's true. Well, just because it's true doesn't mean that it's honest. Let's move to gate number two. Whatsoever things are honest. Now, the broad path is going to narrow just slightly here as we look at Paul's carefully crafted letter. He points to what is honest, and that, that literal interpretation of the word from the Greek literally means honorable. What is honorable? What is grave or sober? In other words, where is the sincerity, where is the honor, where is the sobriety in what you're considering and where your mind goes and the words that you speak? My thought process needs to be one that is on a path that leads me to honorable words and actions and habits. And if it is, I've cleared gate number two. What was true and what was honest. And then we move to the next gate. Whatsoever things are just. Is it just? Is what you're thinking about, ingesting, what you're potentially discussing, is it just? The Greek word here is literally interpreted as equitable and innocent. Wow. If something is equitable, it's fair. If something is innocent, there's no ill will. So it's worthwhile, it's, it's innocent. It doesn't bring harm to me and it doesn't bring harm to another. So I'm not allowing my thoughts to run rampant on revenge or judgment or, or anything that isn't just. I look around today at the rage that's in society. There's rage, there's vehement defense of this position, that position, and there's offense. Uh, there's offense coming at folks that uh, never intended uh, to, to have to be in a position of defense. And it's easy for my carnal mind to relate to this popular saying that I've heard in our culture. 
And the problem with the saying is it only passes the first gate. And that saying is, facts don't care about your feelings. That's true. That's a true statement. Facts are facts. They don't have emotion. They provoke emotion. And they cannot care about an individual. But let me tell you who does and should care about someone's feelings. The body of Christ should care about someone's feelings. Facts don't care about your feelings, but a man or a woman of Christian character does. I'm going to say that again. Facts may not care about someone's feelings, but a man or woman of Christian character will. And we are not called to acquiesce to a mindset or a judgment that is not born from a Christian perspective and, and is born by others and, and by third-party influences, if you will. But God helps us to maintain an equitable and an innocent perspective and one that would do no harm. Folks, this is the Philippians finale. You know, when we talk about Christianity, we spend a lot of time talking about belief and faith and baptism and repentance. And guess what? Those are the central tenets of our faith. But we are graduating today. We're moving into the level 300 course. And we're talking about what it means to actually live a Christian life, not enter into a Christian life. I hope that's all right. So we move on and we say, if it's true, if it's honest, if it's just, then what's the next gate? The scripture says, whatsoever things are pure. The Greek here pulls our thinking to an even higher plane. If it's pure, if it's chaste, if it's clean, then go ahead and dwell on it. If it's not getting any dirt on anybody else, including you, my goodness. If it's not tainting anything with an impure motive or with a bias or with a, a spirit that would slight somebody or that is divisive, hallelujah, then, then let's dwell on those things. Let's clear that gate whatsoever things are pure. And you might be sitting there today saying, my goodness, Brian, what can I think about? <laughs> You've nixed half of uh, every, every conversation and content that I've heard since I woke up this morning. Well, the psalmist said, every word of God is pure. The psalmist said that he is a shield to those that put their trust in him. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. I want you to think on the word. Brian, you need to think on the word. Teacher, teach thyself. If I'm thinking on the word, then God will shield my mind. Hallelujah. If I'm trusting in him, he'll set a gate at my lips so that I'll speak words that are true. If I'm thinking on his word and trusting in him, he'll guard my actions. He'll order my steps. He'll lead me and allow me to be his hands and his feet in the earth. What a precious gate. Whatsoever things are pure. And, and finally, we come to whatsoever things are lovely. I love the Greek definition here. It literally means friendly towards, friendly towards. It's derived from other Greek words that, descri that are described as uh, or defined as affectionate or filled with love. Whatsoever things are lovely. If you can speak it out of affection and out of love, now I don't mean some faint, I'm only telling you this because I love you. No, no, no. I mean genuine, friendly communication and thoughts affectionate thoughts, the way that God thinks about you and me. Come on. He thinks on us with love. We're his children. If you can think on it with affection and with love as you would toward a friend, then go ahead and think about it. That is to say, in the purest sense, my thoughts about this situation or about an individual or group of individuals 
are filled with love and affections. I'm considering them as I would consider my dearest friend. And I hear Jesus say, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. Come on now. This is your identification. When the world says, can I see your license and registration? Can I see some form of identification? Jesus tells us this is our form of identification. The love that we have one toward another within the body of Christ. There has to be a love that is elevated above the differences, that is elevated above the noise. I'll call it a noisome pestilence that is our media and culture. Come on. Then we are dwelling in a place of Christianity. And we know that that love is not limited just to betwixt believers. But we know that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He laid down his very life. So we don't love the world, its culture, its system, its, its set of rules and the way it would act out in carnality and, and fleshly lust. But we love the world in that they are God's creation. And the soul of man is precious. And it is his will that none would perish but that all would have everlasting life. I hope this is okay, church. I want you to just be provoked tonight to think on it, to dwell on it, and let's wait on out a little further. You, you've come this far with me. We might as well, we might as well get out there. Um, the scripture goes on to say, whatsoever things are of a good report. See, things get simple once you clear those first five gates. Now it's, now it's getting obvious. Oh, I see how this is trending. You mean be holy. <laughs> so if it's of good report, it's reputable. It's well spoken of. And finally, the scripture says, if there be any virtue, in other words, if there be any excellent, excellence, excellence. You all know where virtue comes from, don't you? I remember uh, in the scripture where Jesus was being pressed upon by the multitude, but there was one determined woman who was diseased in her body. She had an issue and she pressed even harder than the multitude to get to Jesus and she touched the hem of his garment. And Jesus said, I felt virtue flow from me. Well, that's where virtue comes from. It comes from him. That's where it flows from. If there's any virtue found in me, I got it because I received it from him. Hallelujah. You know, and I, I think about the power, and I've heard scholars break down that on the hymn there was embroidered the law and all the significance of the hymn of his garment. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a simple dude, so I'm just going to tell you what I hear when I hear about the hymn of his garment. That if someone can touch the lowliest part of what is connected to Christ, they're going to find virtue. The lowliest part, the most humble part, the very bottom, if you can just touch that. And it's not Christ directly. It's just something that's touching him. <laughs> I feel the Holy Ghost, church. I, I want to be in a place where I'm positioned to receive virtue. And I want there to be virtue, excellence that I see in the earth, that I think upon, that I see in God's word, that I dwell upon, and that it becomes what forms my words, and it becomes what, what generates my activity, and it becomes what creates my habits, and it becomes what dictates my character, and it becomes my destiny, the destiny that God has called us to. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, that's to say if there's anything that's commendable, pastor said his mother taught him, if you can't say anything nice, say something nice anyway. <laughs> and uh, I love it. If you can't think on good things, think on good things anyway, church. 
Come on, we're moving on up. This is, this is Paul's Philippians finale. And he is giving us keys to life here and victorious living. So Brian, that's not in me. I can hear it now. You know how I can hear it? Because that's me. <laughs> that's me talking to me. Brian, that's not in me. I guarantee it's not in my flesh. But it's in him. It's all in him. Hallelujah. Where does truth come from? Who is honest? Who do you know that is just and pure and lovely? Let me say, let me say something. Get around folk that want to live and experience the Philippians finale. Make them your circle. Make them the ones that you engage with uh, in conversation. Get around the individuals that want to see this, the power of this truth and this instruction unlocked in their lives. Philippians 4, 9 says, those, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. This is why I say get around folk that want to, that want to shine forth the light of God's glory. See, there are things that, taught, that Paul taught through instruction, and there are things that he taught through example. And I, I, I've heard it uh, phrased this way, and I'll phrase it this way and position it this way tonight. There's things that are taught and things that are caught. And, and I want to be clear. You may come to Bible study or you may go to college to learn something that's taught. But who you are around daily and who you engage with is where you catch things. So be around individuals that are putting things out there worth catching. Watch what Paul said. The things you've learned that I've taught and you've received, also what you've heard and you've seen in me. What you've seen in me. Things that didn't come in a pamphlet, in a three-step process, but you saw. This is what discipleship is all about. People are catching who you are. They're catching your scent. That's what we say in leadership training. And so let's make sure that we are giving them Jesus. Amen. We're going to bring it home here tonight. Paul goes on to testify the fruit that comes from a life that is lived the way he's described. He says in 4.11, I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. And then he says in 4.12, I know how to be abased and to abound. In other words, I can be content in either state. And, and I just believe that he went on to write Philippians 4.13 because he knew that he had provoked a question from all of those that were listening to his instruction. And the question is, Paul, how can you really have contentment? How can you be content and be abased and, and, and abound? And how can you really think on these things? And so Philippians 4.13 is the answer. I can do all things, Paul says, through Christ, which strengtheneth me. When we're in Christ, we can accomplish anything and everything that is impossible in and of our flesh. Praise the Lord for that. Somebody say amen. Amen. Let's skip down to Philippians 4.19. Uh, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. This is what happens when we enter the dimensions of faith and of Christian conduct by and through the power of the Spirit. Everything comes together beautifully. And he closes Philippians 4.20. Now unto God our Father be glory forever and ever. We'll, we'll look at 21 too, this final greeting. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. 
That is not, that little demonstration I just did is not what that scripture means. And I'm sure that wasn't uh, uh, military uh, appropriate. I'm sure I didn't pull it off correctly. But that word in the Greek, salute, means to embrace. What? Some of you are not a hugger. You're saying there's a time to refrain from embracing. <laughs> and uh, during COVID, I get it. But again, there should be a love within the body of Christ that I desire to hold my brother just like God has held me. Let them feel that I am, am, am there and there is strength, there is warmth, there is affection that's coming from me. And it's a godly, brotherly affection that we have confidence that there is a love that flows one to another and from another. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. This is probably an unconventional Bible study, but I guess if we look at the words Bible and study in their purest context, we've probably accomplished that tonight. And I want to just uh, invite you to some introspection and personal audit as we close tonight. How am I doing with respect to the Philippians finale? I know as I examine my own life, I've got some work to do. Scripture makes it clear that our minds are a prominent spiritual battleground. We are charged to have the mind of Christ, and yet we know that we have to cast down imaginations. And so it all starts here with the Philippians 4.8 finale. Finally, brethren, finally, whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely. I would ask my church family tonight to just consider what are the sources, what are the wells that you drink from that create the greatest challenge for what you think about? Think about it. It may be a thought you've never thought about before, but when you feel conflicted in your, in your spirit or when you feel emotion rising that is unhealthy, what is that well, what is that source of that reaction? Now, conversely, what are the wells that you drink from and the sources that, that, that you pull from or draw from that lead to the greatest victories with regards to what you think about. That just puts you in an awesome frame of mind where the fruit of the Spirit is accessible and plenteous in your life. Let me, let me get more specific if you're struggling. What does social media fuel in your thoughts? How does it affect your temperament? What about the news? If you spend a lot of time scrolling headlines and if you engage in the drive-by narratives of the unsaved, those that, that would present ideology from a carnal, fallen, worldly perspective, how does it affect you? I, I recognize I'm giving a, a, a pregnant pause here between these questions. But I want you to think about it here as we close. What thoughts do your closest relationships fuel? When you're, when you're in the company of those closest to you and that time of sharing and togetherness comes to a close, how are you left feeling? Where does your mind go? What form do the majority of your conversations take with those that are closest to you? Is there complaining? Is it, is it negativity? Is it always about money and materialism and bigger and more and better? 
Is it about the goodness of God? Is it the testimony of how he's kept you? Where do these engagements lead you? Social media, news, close relationships. Where do these engagements lead you? Are they pointing you toward the true, honest, just, pure, and lovely? Or do you find yourself with conflicted emotions and maybe anger or judgment or a desire to withdraw or a spirit of disunity or, or, or God help us all, even self-pity? These are worthy questions, personal considerations that we should make. Let's pray together as we adjourn. Let's pray that God would transform us by the renewing of our minds. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for those that have gone before us and our fathers in the faith. God, I thank you for the purity of your word. And I thank you, God, for your law. Lord, that when your word is written upon the tables of my heart, not just recited, but when it's in me, flowing from me, that's when I overcome the world and when I walk in holiness. I pray for my brothers and sisters and I pray for every uh, individual that is part of the Tree of Life Church. God, I pray that you would liberate us. God, that you would empower us to walk in the Philippians finale. I thank you, Lord, for the work that you have done and are doing, and I trust you for what you're going to do. I thank you for my brethren and my sisters. They are dearly beloved. I give you glory, and I magnify your mighty matchless name. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.